Like I said, if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke chapter 10. We've been in a, a teaching series for months uh, straight out of Luke, and uh, we're going we're gonna to stay there. Uh, this series is called Overgrow, and we're looking at uh, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Uh, last year, uh, or I'm sorry, last week, uh, if you were here, we, uh, we talked about Jesus setting his face. Uh, and Isaiah talks about the, the suffering prophet sets his face like flint. It, it's, it is turning intentionally into the wind, into opposition, into difficulty to pursue God's purpose and his kingdom will. We're going to jump straight into scripture. So uh, if you're in Luke chapter 10, it's also going to be on the screens if you want to follow along. Super familiar. I know you've heard this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, all of your strength and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this, and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story, oh no, you know you're in trouble when that happens. Jesus said a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. And by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt, what's the word? Compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. Keep going. Yep. Where he took care of him. Uh, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now Jesus jumps back to... Uh, the expert in, law, in the law and says, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes, now go and do the same. Is this familiar? Have you heard this before? Have you heard this teaching before? Uh, if you've heard the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, it is only because of Luke, uh, Mark, Matthew, John, uh, don't believe in a good Samaritan. In fact, it would have been an oxymoron. So only Luke tells us this story, which is really pretty unique and interesting. I just want to walk through this teaching just briefly. Uh, a scribe or, or an expert in religious law approaches Jesus with a question. And the question is, how do I get life? How do I get eternal life? What, do, what must I do? And Jesus, uh, in true rabbinic form, uh, answers a question by asking a question, right? And so he says, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. What do you think it says? And this guy is smart. He is really smart because he responds by reciting the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Bless you. Um, the Shema is... Uh, uh, is the ancient prayer. It comes straight out of Deuteronomy. If you look at it, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, it says this, 
listen, or maybe uh, your translation says hear, and that's the word shema in Hebrew. It means to hear. It means to listen. And more than that, it means the kind of like, would you just pay attention to me for just a second? That's what it means. Shema means listen or hear. Shema, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and even when you uh, are, are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. All right, so the Shema is like uh, the big one. It, it's the most important teaching in, uh, in, in a young Jewish life. Um, maybe the first words of your kid were, were mama or dada, but for a young Jewish child, their first word might very well have been Shema because they heard it so often. Literally, the first uh, uh, of, of the Jewish prayers, the first thing you say in the morning as you wake up, as your eyes pop open, the first thing you say is Shema, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. And I will love the Lord my God with all my heart and my soul and my strength. And Luke adds mind as well. And this prayer is also the last thing you say at the end of the day as you lay your head on the pillow before you go to sleep, before Netflix comes, kicks off. Uh, I know you are watching Netflix before you go to sleep. I just know you are. Um, before that thing kicks off, the last thing you say is Shema, O Israel. It is the most important thing. When the expert asks Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns around and says, well, you're an expert. What do you think? He probably looks down at his own wrist where he has a small leather box. And in that leather box is scripture. And probably the scripture in the leather box that he's actually wearing is the Shema. It is the foundation of the faith, of, of Jewish faith. It, it is the beginning of faith. Because what's the very first part of it? The Lord thy God is one. And it just doesn't just mean like he's, he's one. What it means is the only one. It means there is nothing else. There, there's, not, there's not traffic or work or calendars or schedules. No, there's only the Lord our God. And so the expert answers Jesus' question by quoting the Shema, and everybody knew exactly what he was saying. And he adds even, a, a, because he's an expert, he's super bright, he adds a, a, an extra piece out of it, uh, out of Leviticus 19. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if he was smart, if he was as smart as he thinks he is, he would have stopped there. Because Jesus says, nailed it. Perfect. Slam dunk. You could not be more right in your answer. But he just can't let it go. <laughs> and so seeking to further define, he has a passion for definitions. To further define his answer, he asked Jesus a second question. He says, okay, well then, who is my neighbor. And like I said, as soon as you ask that question, you're in trouble because Jesus answers in a very rabbinic way by telling a story. 
He tells a story about a man on, uh, on the road to Jericho. Uh, this road, uh, you, can, you can even look it up. You can, uh, you can find it today. The road to Jericho was incredibly rocky and craggy. It, uh, think about a mountain pass that comes downhill most of the way, uh, filled with all kinds of rocky outcroppings. Uh, this pass, uh, and everyone in the hearing of this story, as Jesus told it, would know this road instantly. It was known as the bloody way. Because with all of the outcroppings and rocks, it was a perfect ambush place. It was a perfect place for bandits to hide and and to hide around corners. It was filled with all kinds of blind curves that you didn't know what was coming. And, And there's a bunch of stuff about this story that's really interesting because nobody would have gone down the bloody way by themselves. It would have been like going to the other side of the tracks or, or uh, uh, I don't know, what, what's the dangerous part of here in Nashville. Um, there was a time um, in Birmingham, I worked for an inner city church when I was a teenager, and uh, we kind of went to, the, to some of these areas you hear about in town. And uh, as a teenager, I remember we were doing this project of, of we were building a playground in this one area, and we kind of had our... our our angels on our shoulder, like people who were from that area and knew that place, and they were kind of our protectors. And when I, we were in this place, you know, we didn't have a sense that it was super, super dangerous until I, I remember it distinctly to this day. Uh, uh, I was just working on this playground, and I look up, and there's a guy right in front of me, and his face has been completely smashed in, covered with blood. And what had happened was he was a part of a drug deal that didn't go well. And immediately kind of our protectors came and then the police came and it was realization like, this is a dangerous, dangerous place. And this is the road that the man is on. The bloody way. And what happens? He's ambushed. Bandits come, they attack him, they beat him, uh, beat him within an inch of his life. But there's good news because there's more people happens to be there are more people on the bloody way today. And there are three characters, three additional characters in our story, right? The first is a priest. Uh, a priest works in the temple, has a high priestly role, uh, is probably traveling to or from uh, his duties in the temple. And when the priest sees the man <laughs> bloodied and beaten, where does he pass? Does he pass near Does he stop and help? Now he moves to the other side as far away as he can get before passing. And then the second man is a Levite, uh, also kind of from the priestly class. And this guy does a little bit better than the first guy, right? Because it says that he kind of peeks over at the guy. Let me look and see. Let Let me check him out. But does he stop and help? No, absolutely not. And then finally, and this would have... This would have uh, uh, drawn a, a, a gas from, from the audience, as Jesus told it. A Samaritan, a despised Samaritan comes by. So we talked about last week as Jesus turns his face, sets his face towards Jerusalem. The first thing he does is he tells two of his disciples, says, go to a Samaritan village and prepare for me there. And what happens? Don't he let him in. 
completely and utterly rejected. And we talked about this briefly last week, but, but between Jews and Samaritans, there was this uh, almost like a blood feud. They were, uh, they were mortal enemies like uh, um, Alabama and Auburn or Vanderbilt and, uh, and Tennessee. Uh, sorry about that game, Alabama, by the way. Um, <clears throat> that was special. Uh, do we have any Clemson fans? <laughs> we're all Clemson fans now. What are you talking about? Anybody that beats Alabama. Um, sorry, totally sidetracked. Uh, it was that bad between the Jews and Samaritans. And Samaria was kind of like this, they kind of had this stronghold between Galilee and Jerusalem. And, and if the Jews wanted to get there, they either had to go around, which they would often do. They would go around the territory of Samaria as to not go through there. Because if you went through Samaria, that's where you would get attacked and beaten and probably even killed. And if Jews traveled through Samaria, they traveled in force. Because it, was, it would have been incredibly dangerous. It would have been life-threatening. It was enemy territory. And in the Jewish mindset, there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. It doesn't exist. It's, a, it's an oxymoron. And so when Jesus said, a despised Samaritan, everyone said, boo, hiss. And yet, of the three... It is the Samaritan that sees the man, offers him first aid, right? Cares for him, even pays for his care, even pays for his future care. And then Jesus asked the penetrating question, really to the, he said as an expert in the law, really the smart aleck in the law. Which one do you think was his neighbor? And the expert, you got to see, like, I wish we could see that scene, but you know, that, that humble face, like, <laughs> the one that showed mercy. And the Shema begins, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. How do we love God? How does that happen? Like, like what's, the, what's the practicality of, of it? Uh, what's, the, what's the tangible nature? How do we, how do we tangibly love God? Uh, I have lots of people say, well, I love God. Of course I love God. Okay, well, how? How would you do that? Uh, when we have uh, guest speakers or worship leaders come, uh, I kind of give them the same speech every time. Uh, I, I tell them, I say, your job, I know you don't know this church, I know you don't know this family, I know you're new here, maybe you're feeling anxious, but your job today isn't so much as to teach or to lead worship, but your job is to fall madly deeply in love with the people here. Because the way you love them is the way you love God. I, I think actually in, in, in the expert's answer he is giving us the clue to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Well, how do I do that? By loving your neighbor. Uh, as I was thinking about this teaching, uh, I, I don't know, I just came across these bumper stickers. as, as uh, And maybe I just need to do a whole teaching series just based on the theology of bumper stickers. Because there's real wisdom there. Um, and so I want to offer a, a, some theology from a bumper sticker. Uh, go ahead. Um, honk if you have to poop. 
Um, uh, it's only funny because I put that on one of your cars out there while you're in here. Um, I'm just kidding. The, the, the real one is, go ahead, go to the next one. Don't believe everything you think. Um, I, I think that could go a lot of different ways, but it, it made me think especially about um, how you think maybe about yourself, but, but specifically as it relates to this story, how you think about others. Don't believe everything you think about others. Maybe you're like me, and I'm kind of uh, predisposed to thinking the worst about people instead of the best. I'm kind of predisposed, especially in traffic. You know what I'm saying? My, my thoughts are instantly like, um, this sounds horrible. My th- thought is first like, okay, you're a woman driver. You don't know what you're doing. Um, I know I'm getting in so much trouble right now. Um, you know, or, or, you know, it's just the way my head works. And, and, I, and I'm, uh, I, I present this as a confession to you, so I'll pray for me. Um, you know, don't believe everything you think. The Samaritan stopped because when he saw the man, it says that he was filled with compassion. He could have thought, man, this, this guy got what he deserved. This, this guy's a jerk. This guy, you know, maybe it's a trap. Well, he was filled with compassion. In fact, that's kind of the example of Jesus. If you look further or, or earlier in Luke, you see that Jesus' heart overflows with compassion. And I think if we're going to love God, if we're going to love our neighbors, then, then we need to think differently about the people around us. I think the change, the transformation that needs to happen is, is our heart for others, is, is, our, is our thought process for others. Um, it, it has to do, uh, um, well, let's talk about the other two guys. The priest and the Levite both see the Samaritan, right? One actually kind of even gets close. But I don't think they're thinking about, um, I'm sorry, they see the man that's been beaten uh, and is left for dead. But when the priest sees him, when the Levite sees him, I don't think they're thinking about him. I think they're thinking about themselves. I think they don't see a man that's been hurt and wounded. I think they, what they see is their schedule. Because the priest, uh, doing, performing priestly duties, if he touches somebody that's, that's bleeding or if he touches a body that's dead, then guess what? He's DQ'd from his duties for at least seven days, and he has to go through this long ritual cleansing process to be clean again. It takes about seven days to do that. And so when the priest sees this man that's been beaten, is bleeding, is potentially dead, what he saw was, oh, man, if I, if I go near, if I try to help, that's going to mess my whole week up. Right? I wonder if the, uh, the Levite, when he sees him, I wonder if he was just wary of some sort of trap because the bandits are clever and sometimes they'll place decoys to draw you in and suck you in. And so he saw this, but he was worried about, okay, well, if, if I stop and help, what might happen to me? But the Samaritan doesn't see his schedule or his pocketbook. He thinks differently about him, doesn't he? 
sees not himself, but he sees a person in need. He's present in a way that the, the priest and the Levite aren't. Uh, he, he's kind of a of hyper, hyper present. And, and I think that's a problem we have today because uh, as we look at ourselves, as we constantly are thinking about ourselves, or do you get in that mode that it's like it's all about my schedule, it's about my to-do list, it's about what's next, and you realize you've been going all day or for days or weeks or even years at a time and you never stopped and, and looked or you, or you never stepped out of this kind of routine of your life. Uh, it happens with me. I'm a parent, so my kids always are asking for time from me. They need me to read a book or to see this or look at this or do this kind of thing. And, and what's interesting, is, and it calls me out of myself all the time, is, is they never need the time that I have. They always need the time I don't have. Have you, have you experienced this? You know what I'm saying? Like, like the, the, the Saturday morning that I'm, my schedule is open, they're not interested. But when I'm on an important phone call or I've got to finish a teaching or I've got to do something, that, isn't that the moment that you're needed the most? Isn't that the moment that they're kind of calling us out of ourselves? I mean, we need to think about people differently, or at least don't believe everything we think about them. Are you somewhere else all the time with your attention, with your focus? Are, are you always somewhere else? You know what I'm saying? We see it happening with phones and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. But, but when are you ever really present with another person? Because your presence, your attention is incredibly important and incredibly valuable. And if you're always somewhere else, you'll never be present. You'll never be available for the needs of someone else around you. You'll always see the needs of someone else as a burden. All right, so let me put it even deeper. Like, so if you're never present, it's going to be hard for you to be compassionate ever. Because everyone, every need will always feel like some sort of distraction. So we need to think about people differently. We need to practice being present. I love the story um, of, uh, uh, well, I don't guess I really love it. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a there's a story of my sister. Uh, so this sounds like a really southern thing to say, but my sister's really good looking, um, and it's true. Um, she uh, she was a model uh, in high school. Uh, it ticked me off, it ticked me off because I was like working at a movie theater for like seven bucks an hour, and she was modeling for 150 bucks an hour. I was like, this is not fair. Um, but my sister, uh, uh, when she was finishing high school, she had a job interview in Atlanta. And uh, you know what, like, downtown Atlanta is like? It's like 20 lanes of traffic and all this kind of stuff. And she was dressed to the nines for this, for this special interview that she had, and her car broke down. And she did the worst thing imaginable. She pulled over to the center. You know, not to the side, but to the center where that, that concrete thing is. And she's off the road at the center, and her car broke down. And she didn't have her cell phone with her. It was like, ah, brilliant. Um, 
And so she gets out of her car and she starts walking down the center uh, of the median with like eight lanes of traffic on both sides in downtown Atlanta. And she's trying to think about, okay, how am I going to get across so I can get some help or, or have somebody come and help me? What can I do? And um, she, tol- she told us this story. And, and as she's walking down the road, uh, a, a construction crew and a construction truck pulled up behind her. And they just kind of start catcalling her. Come on, baby. Come on, sweetie. We'll give you a ride. And she, she does this thing like, I'm going to pretend like you're not there. You know what I'm saying? And she just keeps walking. And this truck just is kind of just like trolling like right behind her. And as her, like, as her brother, like I'm ready to kill someone already in this story. Like I'm going to kill someone. And she tells the story. And uh, what happens next is, is my favorite part. Uh, a single woman, an older woman, um, kind of sees what's going on, and she pulls over between the truck and my sister. And she yells at my sister, you get in this car right now! <laughs> like, like, you know, this is a mom of somebody, you know, <laughs> like you get it already. And, and that day, in that moment, she became a good Samaritan. To my sister. I love the story too because uh, my sister told me that as, as soon as she got in the car, that woman just blessed her out all day long for being there by herself and in the middle and not having a way to get help and all that kind of stuff, which I love. But I think about the woman who stopped like, um, if she'd have thought differently about my sister, well, uh, this dumb young girl, why, would, why did she just stop there? If she'd have just been con- like hyper-present of her own schedule, you know, I've got to get somewhere, I've got stuff to do, I've got other stuff going on. If she hadn't been present in that moment, what could have happened? This week, uh, as I was reading this story, uh, uh, I was taking my son Cannon to preschool, and we're super early, we're on the early schedule, so I drop him off. He's at school at 7 a.m., uh, you know, we're the first ones in the door because I'm, I'm trying to get to my stuff and the next thing that I have on my schedule. And, and as I was dropping him off and I'm getting his little drink and I'm getting his little breakfast set up and his teacher is like rubbing her eyes, walking in, you know, that whole thing. Uh, another parent came in bringing her three-year-old daughter as well. And her, her three-year-old daughter, her name is Kennedy. And, and Kennedy, for whatever morning, uh, for whatever reason, is just not feeling it this morning. You know, parents, you know what this feels like. They're just not, not not awake, not ready for you to go. And you can tell the mom is sweating it because the mom's got a meeting and the mom's got to get downtown and traffic's already building up. And, you know, the mom is like doing everything she can to make Kennedy feel comfortable and okay and in this space. And, and it's right at that moment that Kennedy just loses it. She starts bawling, crying. And the mom, I can see, is just, just, just heartbroken, but, but I've got to get, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. And so Kennedy's mom kind of does everything she can and hands Kennedy off, kind of off to, off to the teacher and, you know, kind of does the pull apart thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like Kennedy's holding on. The mom's like, oh, I feel horrible, but I've got to go. And the mom leaves and Kennedy's there. And I'm thinking, man, I've got stuff to do too. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And this story came to my mind. pastor. 
So uh, I kind of get Cannon set, and and uh, and I say, Cannon, get your chair. Pull it over here. Cannon, Cannon, will you get will you get Kennedy a chair too? Let's. Why don't we sit together? And so he gets Kennedy a chair, and Kennedy's crying and bawling, and and so I'm like, all right, hey Kennedy, why don't we read a book together while you eat breakfast? Let's get a book. And so I got a book about ducks, and I said, Kennedy, you want to read about this walrus? And Kennedy looked at me, and the only way, like a three-year-old can, she looked at me, she's like, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> Don't you try to cheer me up. I'm trying to be sad right now. You know, and it took, you know, it took, what, five minutes. And we just hung out there together with, with Kennedy's teacher and Cannon, and we just kind of read and talked until she just kind of was at peace again. Um, I had, I had a way more important things to do. I had a schedule to keep. I needed to take off. I, I had every possibility just to, just to be gone, just to not be there. Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. Love God with everything you've got. By loving your neighbor. By thinking about people differently. By seeing others. In just a minute, we're going to have a a time of communion and uh, dismiss you to that. In fact, worship team, if you guys want to go ahead and come back up here. I just want to give you a, just a few final words as we think about this teaching, as we think about God's words, as we think about his commission for us and, and, and what this is all about. In Romans, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, When we were utterly helpless, when we were broken and bruised and bloody and dead because of our sins, when we were on the bloody way, with me? When we were on the bloody way, Christ came at just the right time. And he didn't pass by on the other side. He didn't think about, oh, I've got to get this other stuff done. Christ came at just the right time and died for us. Died for us sinners. And he gives us the example of the Good Samaritan to, to follow two times in this teaching two times the expert says he, he quotes the Shema and he says love your neighbor and Jesus says that's right and then he says now go and do this and at the end of the Good Samaritan story he asked the expert okay so who's the neighbor and this, the expert says well the one who showed mercy and Jesus says it again Jesus says now go and do the same Man, as Christians, uh, it, it's a crazy thing that, that we can spend a ton of time studying our Bible. We, we can have perfect attendance. We can be the best volunteer in the children's ministry. But if we miss the compassion piece, if, we're, if we, we somehow are unable to think about people differently, to see them with compassion, if we're unable to be present and be available for the divine interruptions that are going to come, you know it's going to come then we can still miss it, right? As a church, I, I, 
it, it scares me that we can be right about everything, but if we miss compassion, it, it won't matter. Right? So your challenge this week as you uh, lift up these words, this Shema is to realize there's only one God, is to love him, love him deeply and emotion, uh, emotionally and fully by loving your neighbor. And now you know what's going to happen because you've been exposed to this teaching this week. It's coming for you already. <laughs> you may not get out the door today before it comes. Uh, 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 some sort of distraction, interruption is coming. I guarantee it. How will you respond? Jesus said, if you want life, if you want eternal life, you need to make a lot of money. <laughs> Jesus said, if you want eternal life, you, you need to live in a big house and drive a fancy car. Right? That's what he said. No. He said, if you want eternal life, then do as the Samaritan did. Do this. Love God by loving your neighbor. Mother Teresa said that in the face of every person she served, she saw the face of Jesus. And that is for us, to see others as Jesus did, but to see others as Jesus himself. Why don't you stand as we pray together? Father God, I thank you so much for your word, for this teaching. Uh, it, it, it seems to me, God, that the, that the simplest things have the most weight and, uh, and, and bring the most challenge. And so, Father God, as, uh, as some of us have come maybe this morning, questioning and challenging. Father God, help us just to embrace this teaching about mercy and compassion. Help us to exemplify it, to live it out. Help us to see others differently, to begin to think about others differently. Maybe that just means giving people space and, and not seeing people as a distraction or an interruption, but to see them as you saw them. Father God, help us to see that that uh, we were that broken and, and bloodied person because of the sin in our life, and you sent your son intentionally to us to bring us to life, to show us the way to life. And so, Father God, help us this day, even as we enter into this time of communion, as we break this bread and uh, drink this cup, as we remember your own son's sacrifice for us. Father God, help us to live compassionately towards one another. Father, we love you. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. Around the room, we have tables set up with the elements of communion. I invite you to enjoy a time of communion together.